Hi, I'm Tess Bigland, and as we work, our office relationships are evolving in all sorts of ways. During the lockdown, I mean, we already had a friendship, but the romantic side sort of started to develop through our, our FaceTimes. When he finally showed up for the first date, at that time, we just realized that we were both in love. A month or so later, he was moving in. This is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. We just heard from Greg Kelly and Marois Rizki, Canadian politicians who fell in love over FaceTime during lockdown. We'll have more from them in a moment. Coming up, work relationships and the pandemic. What happens to the water cooler chat when a good chunk of the workforce isn't anywhere near a water cooler or a break room? What happens to love, laughs, gossip, innovation, and creativity in the absence of a workplace? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Take a moment and think about all the relationships in your life that stem from work. Now think about how many of those relationships formed in person. The chit-chat while putting on lipstick in the bathroom. The let's leave work a half hour early happy hour. The fleeting moments of gossip in the hallway. Or maybe making an extra effort to pass by the cubicle of, you know, that long simmering crush. Now think about how those relationships changed over the last two years. That's what we're exploring today, the impact of the pandemic on our relationships at work, especially for those who ended up working remotely and maybe still are. We're going to talk in a few minutes with the CEO of a company that's been remote for more than 20 years about how they create and maintain those work relationships. But first, spring is in the air, and maybe love is too. Maybe even over Zoom or FaceTime. That's what happened for Greg Kelly and Marwa Rizki, two members of the National Assembly in Quebec. Yes, they're politicians, but that is a job, and they did fall in love at work. Our colleague Callum Borchers interviewed them about their story. We first met, actually, when we got elected in 2018. We were elected at the same time, and we're the same age. Off the get-go, we were friends. And I was trying to hook up Greg with my friends. And Greg was like, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. (laughs) But then as the pandemic hit, we were both single. And as elected officials, things were, you know, the sky was falling. And we were doing our best to guide our citizens through that. But she would call me pretty much every day at night and talk to me on FaceTime. And when we shut down the parliament, and that was like the first time I realized that I was missing him, I broke her cardinal rule because she always said she would refuse to date somebody she worked with. So I guess that was kind of a good litmus test that uh, it was true love. 
I've never really thought about like office romance. It is best to try to just keep your, your work life separate from your personal life, but it was meant to be. And like, we were in love and it was like, you just can't say no to that, right? I was scared because I'm like, okay, I'm falling in love with Greg and we worked together. I knew at that time that I was ready. I'm like, I don't care what people are gonna say. Uh, I'm in love with Greg. We got married on September 18th, a Saturday. On Monday, I was like writing a new bill. We were both back at the National Assembly on Tuesday, so we had like 48 hours of break. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly romantic. what I tell everyone. Hey, where'd you take your wife on your honeymoon? I'm like a super romantic trip to Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to pull any type of move or politicians go vacation while things are not good at home. Mm-hmm. So at some point in time, we'll take a real honeymoon somewhere hopefully warm to escape the cold, <laughs> the cold Montreal winter. Ah, love in the time of COVID. Well, even if you haven't fallen in love over FaceTime or Zoom, work relationships evolved in some fundamental ways over the pandemic. And the numbers bear that out. Capterra, a subsidiary of the data intelligence firm Gartner, released a survey showing that 52% of remote workers say it is minimally or not at all important to have friends or other close relationships at work. And the great resignation is playing into this feeling. 63% told Capterra that it's not even worthwhile to make an effort at those relationships because turnover is so high. So what do those changes mean for companies and their workers? We thought it might be enlightening to talk with a company that's been remote for its entire existence. So we turn now to Lucy Soros. She's the CEO of Articulate, a company that makes online employee training programs. Lucy, welcome. Thank you. So wonderful to be here with you, Tess. So this company has been remote for the last 20 years. We are talking pre-Zoom, pre-Slack, pre-almost everything but email. Uh, tell us about the decision and, and how it worked at the start. So our founder, Adam Schwartz, he bootstrapped the company with his life savings and really didn't have the money to open an office. And uh, he also needed a couple of experts uh, to build the product that he had a vision for. So one was in India and one was in the States. He was in New York and they were all separated by geography. He quickly realized that the remote setup actually got people focused on the output and the productivity. And um, despite the fact that there was no Zoom at the time, um, no Slack at the time, that the collaboration didn't suffer at all for that. Do you have any offices now? We have no offices and we've never had an office. Early days, we were sort of embarrassed by it, but, um, <laughs> but now we're loud and proud about it. Okay, so let's talk then about how you foster relationships uh, between coworkers, between employees and their bosses, when everyone is scattered to the four winds. A lot of us have had a taste of that over the last couple of years, but you've got a multi-year company history of it. What do those relationships look like at Articulate? And how are you creating them when you're all remote? One of the premises that of this question, and I think a lot of executives are are struggling with this right now, is this assumption that proximity equals connection, and it really doesn't. You can you can be in a cube next to someone and really have zero relationship with them, or interact on instant message anyway. For us, because we are remote and have always been remote, we have really built in connection into the fabric of how we do business. When you make a connection a priority, you really have to 
uh, talk about what makes a meaningful connection. So really connection can only happen in a meaningful way when people are showing up as their authentic selves. And you have to create space uh, for people to show up in authentic and vulnerable way. And, and that really starts at the top. For me, that means, you know, I let people know if I've had a hard day. Uh, I talk about my life outside of work. I admit when I don't have the answer and I apologize when I mess up. So that gives permission to everyone on my leadership team and, you know, and then their managers and so on and so forth to really show up in a way that's the basis for true connection at work. So that doesn't mean you have to give everyone your life story. You can choose what level of um, vulnerability you want to have with folks, but it does sort of call you into this place of, you know, what am I bringing in in my history, in my background, in my social location, in my experience this morning trying to get my kids out the door when they were throwing tantrums? Like, what is that that I'm bringing into the workspace? Uh, this idea that you can sort of check this at the door and, you know, literally at the door of your workplace if you're in person or, you know, virtually at the door is just a false, a false notion. So for us, it's, you know, whether you're in person or you're online, it's really about how do I show up in a way that is authentic? And we, we know from all the research, Brene Brown has done a ton of research around this too, is that when you show up in a vulnerable way, that is really the mechanism for connection with your fellow human beings. So that is the effort to foster these relationships uh, mm-hmm. among employees. But what about this question of, of creativity and innovation in person? I'm sure you heard when Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JPMorgan Chase, uh, famously said in early 2021 that remote work was not good for spontaneous innovation or culture. And I have not heard him changing his tune on that. But this idea that, you know, you see each other in the employee kitchen, around the, the water cooler, you don't have those things when workers aren't engaged face-to-face and they don't have relationships to foster that. What's your experience? Yeah, so our company is living proof that that's not true. So we are now a 400-person company. We have metrics that are off the charts. Our collaboration, our ideation, our innovation is really just top <laughs> top notch. So we create spaces uh, where we have meetings where we we structure time where folks can offer ideas. We again, when you create safety, people are more likely to share their ideas. Hmm. That's psychological safety you have to build, and you can do that on a Zoom call. You can do that in Slack channels. We have a lot of other humans here, you know that. They feel safer and they feel more comfortable. Perhaps they're not extroverts. They like to mull things over more, like having a space, a Slack channel where they can offer ideas to them actually promotes more idea sharing and ideation. So it's really about, I think, psychological safety, creating those spaces, whether they're virtual or in person, and then having different kinds of channels and ways that folks can do that. What are some of the specific ways that you foster this this coming together of employees when you're not actually together? So we have a couple things that are sort of baked into the way that we do things here. So one is our social Slack channels. So we have hundreds of Slack channels. You know, I personally, I post all the time and read all the time in our books channel, our music channel, our particulate channel, where people are always posting pictures of their pets and trading secrets. (laughs) Uh, How do you wrangle a cat? (laughs) 
We also organize team and company activities. We have things like uh, games like Loteria, which one of our employees runs. It's like Mexican bingo, and it's 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 just fabulous. Oh, that sounds fun. It's really, really gets to be a raucous, raucous, joyous fun for folks. We have coffee chats where you get paired randomly just with someone at the company every month, which is a great way to sort of cross-pollinate and get folks to get to know each other. We do things like no work hangouts. So people will come uh, have meetings with our team over Zoom where, you know, we're not talking about work. This is all just about hanging out. Um, we also have work weeks uh, periodically, and, and those will be starting back up as we watch. What are those? So our work weeks, you know, different teams will get together if they, basically it's to have focused time together working on a problem. So when you really need to spend, you know, 16 hours of a team uh, solving a problem, it's it, it allows folks to focus just on that piece of work instead of having to balance it. So, so like what, you rent a hotel ballroom or something and fly everybody in yeah exactly folks will will okay. will will bring anyone at, we'll look at where where's the team that needs to get together right. and then sort of central location um folks will come you know hang out in a hotel or sometimes we do an airbnb where folks we can have more of a living room kind of space to to work mm. out of i've had them at my house <laughs> um so so it's basically to get folks together all over the country, basically. And we've had them internationally as well so that folks can spend intensive time together working on a problem. Is there anything that you've kind of tried out over the last few years in terms of fostering employee relationships that that hasn't worked out so well that maybe you learned from and decided, you know what, let's try something else? Yeah. In fact, we tried using Yammer for a while. It's this like social network for <laughs> um, for. <laughs> for folks. Um, and and it didn't work that well. And I was thinking about why is that? Why didn't it work for us? And really it's because it tried to separate out connection from the flow of work. Hmm. Folks talk about work-life balance. We talk about sort of work-life integration. It kind of blends those things together in one space. So in the flow of work, you are having these kind of social kind of cementing conversations. You've talked a lot about the proof in the pudding with the performance of your company, but I'm curious when you are so employee focused, uh, what your rate of employee turnover is. Yeah, so so last year we had eight uh, percent employee turnover. Seventy five percent of that was non regrettable. Hmm. And turnover is expensive. It's not only expensive, you know, to the bottom line. It's also expensive to 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 your culture, and it burns everybody out because they're you know covering someone else's job until you can hire. And it's just, it, it takes a big toll on an organization. And, and we've had extremely low turnover. I assume with 400 people, there must be some people you've never met. Yeah, especially with the pandemic. So typically we right. have an annual tr- retreat once a year. Uh, we've had to put those on hold with COVID. Uh, so I haven't met a lot of folks at the company. And um, I'm looking forward to us having our annual retreats next year to, to meet folks. We also have work weeks uh, periodically. And basically it's to have focused time together working on a problem. So when you really need to spend, you know, 16 hours of a team uh, solving a problem, it allows folks to focus just on that piece of work instead of having to balance it. Lucy, has there been any moment, any at all, where you were interacting with someone remotely and you just kind of said to yourself, you know, 
self, this would be so much nicer if we were in person or self, I really miss interacting with people. Yeah. I mean, I look, I love, I love the humans at, at Articulate. I do. I sort of miss folks that I know and I, I, I miss folks that, um, that I haven't met yet. You know, I see them on Zoom and I, and I wish that I could give them a hug, but I actually, I have one VP here who the other day I thought to myself, have I met her in person? Like I feel so connected to her and we have such a good connection over Zoom that I had to really think about, have I met her in person? Wow. And that just speaks to how the authentic, vulnerable, real uh, connection that we have is not predicated on us being in the same space together. Lucy Soros, thank you so much. It's been a delight. Thank you so much, Tess. When we come back, we'll talk with organizational psychologist David Berkus about why it's important to develop relationships at work and what we lose when we try to do that without sharing the same physical space. And a heads up that on April 12th, next week, WSJ is hosting a day-long jobs summit with expert advice on how to turn this hot job market into a competitive advantage for yourself. This is for everyone from recent graduates to mid-career professionals. It's a virtual event, and we'll be conducting some live interviews that will feature on the show, interviews that include questions from you. You can sign up at wsjjobssummit.com slash registration. Stay with us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So one of the questions I asked Lucy earlier was, what about those workers who aren't necessarily interested in generating friendships from work, those for whom work is just work? And part of her response was that when people sign on to articulate, they know that part of the expectation is that they're going to develop those relationships and, in current buzzword parlance, bring their whole selves to the job. Our next guest argues that work friendships are fundamental to our work lives and that companies should make a serious effort to foster those friendships, especially right now when relationships have been fractured because of the pandemic and remote work. David Berkus is a best-selling author of four books on business and leadership. He's got a master's in organizational psychology and a PhD in strategic leadership. His most recent book is Leading from Anywhere. David, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So let's start by looking at some of the kinds of relationships that we have at work and how they develop. You have uh, coworkers, colleagues, uh, and then you have bosses and direct reports, all of these coming with some sort of social bond, uh, for better, sometimes regrettably for worse. Um, what does that ideally look like? 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting. When I think about it as relationships, I think about are these friendships or are these kind of work acquaintances, right? Mm -hmm. Really the bulk of, of my research and the thing that I think has been missing from the last two years are those work friends that we all develop, right? Those, those people that we know much more about what's going on in their personal life, those people that we know and, and kind of lean on for social support. And sometimes when they're in different teams or different departments can become that informal network that makes an organization actually function more productively than if everyone sort of followed the org chart, right? And, and those are the ones I think most people are struggling with maintaining right now. Why do we need social bonds, social relationships at work? It may sound like an obvious question, but I want to ask it anyway. I can't answer with a philosophical why. Uh, I can tell you what the data says. They tend to be more creative or at least have access to more diverse information when they have a, a diversity of friendships beyond their department, right? There's actually some research that suggests they stress us out a little bit too, because maybe some personal uh, issues can become work issues. We mm -hmm. don't get exempt from that when we have friends at work, right? But the productivity gains and the engagement gains offset that stress. We're social creatures. We all need relationships. And the, the research supports that we use that thing, work, that place we used to be at for 40 plus hours a week. We use that to scratch that social itch a little bit. And it actually makes for a better organization as well because of those productivity gains. When you say that there is research to support this idea that, that having friendships in the office uh, helps a company, can you talk us through those a little bit? Like what, what does that data tell you about a worker who has friends in the office versus a worker who doesn't and the difference between the two? You know, it's hard to find these because often we don't use the term friends. The fancy schmancy term in, in network science and in sociology is multiplex ties. Mm. Connections connections for whom there that are multiple different... That sounds warm and fuzzy. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Doesn't it? That's We we, t we took a concept like friendship and we scienced it. <laughs> <laughs> but when we say multiplex ties, we mean in a, in a network, like the network of an organization, we mean people for whom there are multiple contexts for connection. So we work together, yes, but maybe we grew up in the same part of the country, or maybe we, uh, maybe we went to the same university, or maybe our kids now attend the same school. Those multiplex ties develop into friendships, and people who have those are more engaged to the team. They're more likely to identify as members of the team. They work harder, so they're more productive. Uh, like I said before, sometimes they're a little more stressed, especially if you've got a friend who needs to vent to you, and the only option to do it is at work. If we wanted to unscience it for a moment, we could think of them as as those uncommon commonalities we find with the people we work with, the things that, that we have in common that maybe nobody else on the team or in the office or the virtual office has. And it turns out from a, from a pure productivity standpoint, even those, those non-work conversations are still passing information or at least increasing the likelihood that you'll ask for help from people you may not normally if you just have a purely I don't want to say platonic here, maybe work tonic relationship <laughs> with people, meaning you only actually think of that relationship as a work relationship. You're much less likely to ask those people for help. They're much likely, much less likely to give you more information. And that can be a problem that actually affects your performance at work as well. So when we think about those relationships, whether it's with, with our colleagues or our bosses or with just the employer writ large, is it possible to have those good work relationships that are not founded on friendships. Some people just work and they're fine with that. They don't need work friends. They can still do good or even great work, can't they? Yeah, uh, some people. I, I think fewer people than we think, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then the other thing is we look at this from 
uh, a pure network science and networking research standpoint, it becomes a whole lot harder to secure new work in that economy if you're if you're purely sort of transactional, right? We we live in this world where the average tenure at an organization is shrinking dramatically, which means you you need a network. You can call them friends or you can call them acquaintances. You can call them whatever you want, but you need a diverse and wide set of connections in order to be able to find new work opportunities from time to time, or even just to find the information you need to do your work, right? So you you need to be cultivating relationships. I, I suppose if you wanted to continue to put people into two different buckets of work contacts and, and real friends, you could. But the, the truth is the research kind of points to, I mean, the godfather was wrong. There's no such thing as it's not personal, it's just business. Business and personal, <laughs> that, that overlaps all of the time. So I want to go a little deeper on these last couple of years and how remote work has affected the ability to make those work relationships. Because as you said earlier, there's no water cooler, there's no break room, there's no kitchen. Clearly, we still need to have some sort of connection that goes beyond the day-to-day work. Does it have to happen in person? What are we seeing over the last couple of years in terms of finding out other ways, figuring out other ways to make that happen, those personal connections with colleagues? Yeah. So so when we look at organizations, you know, if we look at where multiplex ties, uh, or if we want to make it a much warmer phrase, uncommon commonalities, if we look at where those are developed, they're developed in the unstructured moments in somebody's work life, right? So traditionally, that is the water cooler. Although I don't know a lot of places that have water coolers anymore, even before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it's all bottled But we still say now. that, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Or the coffee shop in the lobby or right. the kitchenette in the break room, right? Or, or when you show up early to the, to the meeting room and you, there's only three or four people there, it's those unstructured moments of time where people talk about non-work issues. The challenge over the last two years is that we don't do that, right? We're wall-to-wall Zoom calls where we're, believe it or not, we, it, it's kind of this weird dynamic where we're all on way too many video calls and yet we're actually running meetings more efficiently than we used to. Mostly because we all have another meeting we have to get to. Right, right, right. But what we lose from that is that those unstructured moments of time. What I think changes as you move from, from in-person to virtual shouldn't be, okay, we just need to recreate those so we'll make long ones. We need to rethink what they were before. They usually were four to five minutes, but four to five minutes multiple times throughout the day. And so in a virtual type collaboration and virtual relationships with coworkers, we need to think about that. So maybe that is just a couple minutes at the beginning of a Zoom meeting that we know, hey, this is actually an inefficient way to run it. But as we catch up on how each other's weekend is, we're, we're finding those uncommon commonalities and building that relationship. Maybe it's creating a dedicated, I mean, you could call it water cooler, but as we just covered, that's actually out of date, right? Because nobody uses the water cooler even before the pandemic. And after the pandemic, the idea of a shared water cooler actually seems like a it's terrible new. idea. Yeah, no, gross. Right? <laughs> but we could create a, a channel in Slack or Teams that is just that, right? A place where people can share personal updates to the extent that they're comfortable, um, et cetera. Believe it or not, icebreakers, those really lame games we all had to play when we were starting our career and getting to know a new team, those actually have a place. So can we do it without a physical location? Yes, I think what we tried in the beginning was a way too immersive, unstructured amount of time. And that's what led to a lot of the Zoom fatigue. We need to be thinking about it the way we used to do it in the office, which is in those small micro moments. So I'm curious how you would convince potentially some of the folks who are saying, no, like everybody has to be back. 
everybody has to be back in. Otherwise, we're going to have no innovation. We're going to have no creativity. We're not going to have like any relationships where serendipity can happen. What's your response to that? And how would you advise some of those leaders who, if they don't change, may lose staff? Yeah. So uh, first of all, we never ended up finding any good research on that idea of innovation collisions and spontaneous interactions turning into groundbreaking products. The the data never actually supported that. It's a great story, but it never actually happened. Uh, so calling everybody back to the office just so that it happens, it's, it's probably not going to work, um, especially if you've got one of those atrocious open offices where everyone just feels stressed all day because there's a constant noise level. Right. My goal, the thing that I'm pushing for for most leaders is that we ought to be creating a, a workplace where everyone feels welcome, but no one feels obligated, right? Hmm. Where this is, a tool, this is a tool for collaboration should you choose to use it, but you don't need to feel obligated to be there as well. I, I think that's actually what most people want. So again, to kind of bring it back to this question of relationships at work and, and what we're missing and what we've gained over the last two years, I'm curious, as you look back over the pandemic and all the changes that, that it's wrought on this topic, do you think any of this would have happened without the pandemic? Do you think that there would have been an, an evolution in, in how we're working and and also in workers feeling empowered to ask for what they want? So. I, I think the pandemic was really an accelerant. So short answer, yes. Um, I, I think what we did is we took about a 10-year leap in the way that work was arranged. People mm. were already starting to demand more flexibility. The problem was there were a lot of stigmas. I mean, there's some interesting research in the, in the mid-teens that suggested there was a gender bias and who asked for flexibility, right? When men asked for flexibility, they were rewarded and told that it's probably because you're a go-getter and you've got clients to meet with. When women asked for it, it was like, oh, it's because they need to get their kids off the bus. Well, I mean, like newsflash, I get my kids off the bus, right? Because it's 2022. Even before the pandemic, I got my kids off the bus. So there was no reason for that, but we still kind of had it. My hope is that the pandemic broke us of those things. And so everybody now feels enough confidence to ask for that flexibility. My nightmare would be that we dictate the terms of how we're going to be flexible and just tell people flexibility means you have to have this percentage of time at the office and then people have to figure out how to readjust their lives accordingly, you know? So yeah, I think we had an accelerant. I think we got a 10 year leap. And my biggest concern is let's not squander it and try and go back to just a slightly improved version of 2019. We were already headed there. Let's just go there. Well, David Burkus, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I hope we get to meet in person sometime soon. Maybe, but until then, uh, maybe we can answer some trivia questions together. Love it. Coming up, our pro tip with all these relationships we're supposed to be developing. How should the post-pandemic workplace help foster them? What is the role of the office? Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com F-O-E-F podcast to secure your spot. All 
Our pro tip this week is from Nitin Noria. He is a professor of business administration at Harvard. And he argues that it might be time to rethink the words we use about the spaces we work in, and maybe even the spaces themselves. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you. So the pandemic has really given us the opportunity to to take a step back and evaluate the whole concept of of office spaces. Uh, They've been a central part of work for decades. How is that changing? I just had this insight recently that the office was nothing but a accompaniment for a place where we used to work because there was a factory and there was an office associated next to it, or there was a place where there was copiers, or there was a place where there were computers. And now that we've been able to decentralize all of these things, there's a question that emerges as to what is the role of the office, because it's certainly not going to be there because I need a copier or because I need a computer. We can do all of that work from many, many different locations. And my instinct is that the main role of the office now is for us to accomplish the social things that can only be done in person. So the office is more like a clubhouse than the office is a place of work. Huh. Well, you know, uh, there are a lot of business leaders who are saying they want to come back. They want everybody to come back, really pushing for workers to be in that physical space at least a few days a week. If that's the case, what should our office spaces look like and, and how should they function? I think the more we can make the time in the office be opportunities for people to form the social connections, to create alignment with each other. If you look at all of the time that you spend in your office and you're spending 80% of your time still in front of your desk doing individual work, I'm not sure that that's a good measure of time well spent in the office the way we should think about re-architecting the office is to make sure that 80% of the time that people are spending when we bring them together into one physical space is being spent in interactions with each other. So even among meetings, we need to think about what kinds of meetings are best done in person. Then what should workers keep in mind as all of these decisions about office space are being hammered out? So I think workers have agency in this too, right? I mean, like we need to make sure that we're not just falling victim to saying, my office tells me that I should be in the work three days a week. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come into work three days a week. Reach out to the colleagues that you want to talk to and figure out a, a way to make sure that when you spend time in, at, at work, you're actually being proactive about the conversations that you want to have, the relationships that you want to create. So since you know that you can do one, your own individual work easily from anywhere, be proactive about making sure that you are using the office in a way that is the most social opportunities that you want to create for yourself, right? So if you want to have a conversation with a boss, take the time in the office to have that conversation to get truly aligned with your boss. If you want to coordinate with colleagues, make sure that you are creating the time in the office to do that. I think you have to be more intentional and more proactive about how you use your time in the office as opposed to just waiting for instructions from whoever your boss is. Nitin Noria, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And that's it for this week's show. Next time, we'll look at how corporate culture has become a bellwether for job seekers, sometimes just as much as salary and benefits. And we'll explore the new role millennials and Gen Z are playing in driving change where they work. I mentioned earlier the upcoming WSJ Job Summit, and one of our sessions is going to be on age discrimination in the workforce. We'd love to get your thoughts on that topic, and we've got a way for you to send a video question ahead of time that might be used in the session or maybe even on this podcast. You can do that at wsj.com slash 
Jobs Summit Ageism. Again, that's wsj.com slash Jobs Summit Ageism. You'll find all the instructions there, and we look forward to hearing from you. As we work as a production of The Wall Street Journal, Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer, Amanda Llewellyn is our development producer, Scott Salloway is our supervising producer, Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer, our music was composed by Hansdale Sue, Kateri Yoakum is a chocolate chip cookie that's still melty inside, and The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Tess Vigland. See you next time. <laughs>